0: This is the playground of the Central Model School on Gardiner Street in Dublin City Centre. The children that you can hear running around in the background are who this story is about. These children are not going to be performing for us, answering my questions or telling us stories. No, instead we are listening to them, as together they do philosophy. We are going back into the classroom of Miss Gerrard's fourth class.
1: Who's the next group? Two questions.
0: The children are doing art and philosophy in the classroom. There's loads of
1: really cool questions.
0: An educational programme that introduces students and their teachers...
1: Should we be different from each other?
0: ...to both philosophical inquiry and contemporary art practice. Hmm.
1: Does everyone have to be honest?
0: OK, next group. We'll go back to class in a few minutes. But I want to think first about how and why would you engage children in philosophy? Currently in Ireland, there's a growing interest in doing this. Individuals and organisations such as Philosophy Ireland are working to establish school and community-level engagement in philosophy. And in terms of how this is done, This programme is an insight into one way of engaging children in philosophical inquiry. I think when you listen to it, you'll understand the why part. You will understand why it is so important to give children time to engage with complex ideas, to question deeply, to be okay with uncertainties and differences, to explore many answers to the big questions about love, justice, identity, existence meaning, politics and knowledge to give children a space to develop their naturally inquiring minds. Philosopher Ashlyn O'Donnell, who is a professor of education at Maynooth University, member of the Centre of Public Education and Pedagogy, and founder, member and ambassador of Philosophy Ireland.
1: But I think that there's an appetite around that in the Irish context um, to do some really exciting work at the moment. I, th- I feel like there's a shift. There's something happening right now, certainly a primary, but I think the appetite's there are post-primary as well. Um, to try, and, to try and find ways of talking about values and ethics philosophically, but also to find ways of connecting with the lives of children and young people so that they have these spaces to explore um, and understand and imagine different ways of being and thinking and
2: existing in the world. I mean, we work from the fundamental assumption that kids are thinking about this. This is
0: Dr. Joe Euler. He is lecturer in teacher education in Maynooth. He coordinates the Philosophy for Children workshop, hosted by the Institution of Advancement for Philosophy for Children, which was founded in the 1970s by Matthew Lipman and anne Margaret Sharp, and is generally seen as the beginning of the global education movement of philosophy for children. Art and the Philosophy in the Classroom was developed by Katie Fitzpatrick, who you'll meet shortly, and Asher O'Donnell is part of this educational movement. And that is what you're going to be listening into, a classroom of 10-year-olds engaging in philosophical inquiry. So this is not cute soundbites of children's thoughts. This is listening into a group of 10-year-olds figuring
2: out what it is to be human. Tell me a three-year-old that hasn't said that's not fair. That's an issue of justice. That's a deeply philosophical issue that's central to her experience. It means something. She cares. When she says that's not fair, she's not being abstract, philosophically kind of nuanced and kind of slick. She's saying, this hurts. I have a name for why it hurts, and you, we need to do something about it. In the lived daily life of any given child, right? issues of justice and beauty are always pressing. They're always part of how she understands the world and understands herself. For me, that's always the grounding justification for engaging in, in philosophy because it because there are aspects of your experience you just aren't going to make sense of in the same way if you're not using a philosophical process. When you engage in philosophy for children, it forces you to reconceptualize you know, to kind of rethink your understanding of philosophy and to rethink your understanding of children. It's not some cute novel thing that's happening. It's people making sense of their experience. And just because they're shorter and haven't been around as long shouldn't make a difference.
3: It gives you an opportunity to treat children like human beings.
2: This is Dr.
0: Rob Grant, philosopher and lecturer in philosophy of education.
3: And similarly with other groups in prisons and places, it's a really humanizing form of engagement. Because first of all, I think the most humanizing thing you can do is to listen to what someone has to say and actually hear them. And secondly, you allow people into the most human of all things, which is reflection on what it is to be alive and what we're doing here. Not preaching to people and not kind of forcing your views on them is a really, really important part of the whole process, I think.
0: And that is what our fourth-class students of Central Model National School are doing. Engaging in philosophical inquiry through art and philosophy in the classroom. And why is art and philosophy linked together? Katie Fitzpatrick works in gallery education with a focus on children and young people's engagement in contemporary art.
4: I think they're very interlinked in lots of ways. I think artists are grappling with lots of big questions and ideas all the time. You know, artworks deal with a variety of issues and contemporary life in a variety of ways. So it kind of made sense to bring them together. And it was a way of thinking about children's interests and the ways that they inquire.
3: I see philosophy as, well, I see it as quite close to art. In you're confronting these really deep fundamental questions... And you're trying to grapple with them, but you're always grappling imperfectly with them. And what you produce, and whether that's a conversation or a piece of writing, never really solves the problem. Just like whatever an artist is grappling with in creating a piece of art doesn't solve it, but it's part of a journey and a process.
1: It, it's also about what's provoked or stimulated by the encounter with the artwork. Or are there other ways of of opening up different kinds of exercises as a consequence of this encounter with the exhibition
2: and i think one of the things that struck me coming to philosophy for children is that that a looser structure a, a more fluid a more organic a more chaotic engagement at times can bring philosophical insights that don't emerge from a very controlled structured engagement Part of what's really powerful in engaging in philosophy in this way is is that you learn about thinking itself. Sometimes being a little analytic is what's needed. Sometimes being purely creative is what's needed. And that when we do this together, and I think this is the other thing that's really powerful, is... The history of philosophy is often about unfortunately a bunch of old white men going off into a tower alone somewhere and figuring this out and then telling everybody what they found out. What doing philosophy in community um, does for us is helps us to realize how much better of a thinker we are when we are when we 're thinking together when there 's a different kind of accountability and support there through others um,
3: yeah, and it 's strange and subtle like it 's quite a difficult. That's why it's quite hard to explain exactly what it is, and that's why it's best done in practice. Let's just do it, and then you'll see what it is.
1: So we talked, we talked a little bit about what philosophy is. Any other ideas about what philosophy is? The explanations of life. Okay, so philosophers give you explanations of life, like what life's about. Yeah. Okay. What else? Anyone else any thoughts on what philosophy is?
3: Yeah, it's a, philosophy is funny because... Philosophers themselves find it really, really hard to define exactly what philosophy is. But basically philosophy is about asking really, really big questions about what life is like and what the world is like. So what would be a good example of a philosophical question?
1: Well, I think the one that we got last day, What's the Meaning of Life, was a pretty good one. Did you want did you have another one?
5: Uh uh-huh. This is a question. Is philosophy like why it is named fingers? It
1: actually is. Is <laughs> yes. it?
5: Like it is. why is
1: the colour red called red? So why do certain things have words associated with them? Hello. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it's, part, it's one part of philosophy.
3: Yeah, so another way of kind of thinking about what makes something a philosophical question is that there's no real simple or easy answer to those questions. Like, when we ask, you know, what is truth or what is it for something to be fair, people can disagree about those answers and talk about them and argue about them. So the history of philosophy is basically a history of people arguing and giving reasons for why they think what they think. And like, in, in a philosophy classroom, it's not like the teacher is the expert who has all the answers. We don't know the answers either, but together... The idea is that we can kind of get better questions and better answers by talking about it out loud. And that's what we're going to try and do today.
0: So the children started the process of questioning with a visit to an exhibition in Temple Bar Gallery and Studios.
4: Yes. Yeah, so the exhibition that we were looking at with the children that kind of inspired the whole project was an exhibition by a Irish visual artist, Ronan McCrae, and it's called Ephron's Copy Mechanism. And Ronan is a visual artist and he's working a lot with film and analogue media, so slide projectors, um sixty millimeter film. So in this exhibition it's it was a way for the artist to look at his archive and his material. Rona McRae's exhibition
0: offered a very different viewing experience for the children. Michael Hill is programme curator at Temple Bar Gallery and Studios.
6: Um, The gallery space is darkened to allow for um, lots of different types of projections, from slide projectors to 16mm projectors. Um, There's the black and white archival 16mm films of... um, found archival footage of documentaries and educational films and then on the opposite wall is a larger slide projection made up of four layered slide projectors which all show um, large color slide images and then on the third wall there's a very small projection which is around the scale of a small painting but shows uh, photographic slides of the sea which change at a very slow rate The projectors and the equipment is housed in a a set of metal archive shelves, which gives a very industrial feel to the the space that we're standing in. And to emphasise or exaggerate that sense of industry uh, is the sound of the projectors, which is quite loud, and it's a constant, repetitive sound of the film running through the projector, or the clicking as the slides change
4: and he bleeds one projector in and out from the other so that it looks like it's the same image all the time. But it, it has tiny little changes in the way the, way the waves are. Can you no, do you notice the changes? Yeah. They're really subtle though, aren't they?
0: After the children viewed the work, they went to Ronan's studio to explore the ideas within the exhibition.
4: So you, did you think the exhibition felt like a dream? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. In what way? It's just that my mind just
7: switched on to dream mode and then I thought it was a dream.
4: What inspired
7: you to?
4: Is what inspired you? That is a good question. I don't think it was just one thing. So it wasn't an inspiration, it was more like a question. Was that I had all these kind of things that didn't seem to fit together? And all seemed to be different types of stuff, and it was like, made no sense. And I was like, how can I, what would it mean to like put them all together? He's looking at a variety of themes and issues. I think he's thinking about the overlapping of images, and when you put things together, what kind of narratives are created. Often he's working with chance in the way that the images are presented, so they're not always the same. So within the exhibition, there was a lot to pull from it around kind of collage and truth and perception and perhaps bringing it into the modern day context and thinking about you know the way that imagery is edited and and the way that it's composed and then you know how we perceive that and thinking about how children are dealing with such complex imagery in terms of their visual literacy and their visual Um, interactions, what this exhibition might support in terms of a conversation around those kind of truth versus fiction. So with Ronan's work, questions of truth, questions of perception, um,
1: questions of evidence emerged within our first conversations with the children. Can I ask you one or two kind of philosophy-like questions? Does that sound okay? Because I don't really have the answer to them. Um... Can we always trust what we see? Can we always believe what we see? What are your thoughts? And tell me why you think whatever it is that you think. So.
7: I don't think you can trust what you see because there's such things as like Photoshop and you could edit stuff into it.
4: Can I ask another question on this? Can I ever,
1: can I ever um, trust what I see? And how would I
8: know? Um, sometimes you can't trust, for example, you are standing here, so I know you're standing here, so I can trust that. So you're witnessing this. But maybe I'm an illusion, or maybe you're dreaming.
1: So how would you
2: know?
8: Hmm, maybe, like when you're dreaming, sometimes you know you're dreaming, because yeah. you don't see from your eyes, you just see from, you see your entire body, somehow. That's oh,
1: interesting, interesting. Way experience yeah. yeah, so there's something about the experience of seeing, that you're saying is a different kind of experience to the experience of dreaming where it feels like you're not seeing through your eyes but it's seeing through your body that's a pretty that's a pretty good counter argument to me thank you
4: every time that i work with children and i will research the exhibition before we develop the ideas around the exhibition we have ideas in terms of themes or questions or things but there's there's always the unexpected and i think there's always a much, much deeper and a much, much richer engagement than than we expect that happens within that space. Okay. So because we were thinking about
1: Ronan's exhibition and we have been talking about things like truth and can I believe what I see and all of that, we thought, or we'd say to you and ask you to take a position, again, agree or disagree, you should always tell the truth. Do you agree or disagree with that statement?
3: So, agree is here and disagree down here. You can think about
4: it before
3: you leave. <speaking>
7: okay. so
8: I
3: can set up the question
8: it's like if someone like if your sister has a birthday party and your mom tells you not to tell anything because it's a, pr- a surprise for her and your sister asks you what if something's going to go on if you tell the truth she would know what would happen it would not really be a surprise anymore it's not always good to tell the truth
3: okay very good so in your example then there's something that's more important than the truth
8: most
0: of the group disagreed with the statement you should always tell the truth
3: okay so over here you're still not convinced. This is just
1: the two of us over here at the moment. Do you want to say why you're not convinced?
7: Yeah, I got two things. Saw this in a on a TV. It's called Alvin and the Chipmunks, and that Alvin told a lady that there's going to be a surprise, and the old lady said that she doesn't like surprises. Uh-huh.
3: Huh. So you're not convinced by the idea that it's better to keep the surprise secret because maybe sometimes people don't want that. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay.
7: So my second thing is a lie detector. They'll catch you no matter what if you lie.
1: So you're not going to get away with it. Yeah. yeah.
7: Can I add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Because
1: I'm a bit worried, like, you, everyone over there... And nearly everyone's over there is giving all these examples about all these exceptions about when they might lie, that there's a better cause, like there's a really nice surprise or something really bad's going to happen. But I'm worried that then, if everyone starts saying, Well, I lie in this situation, in that situation, in that situation, then maybe. People will lie all the time and none of us will know what the truth is anymore and I won't be able to tell whether somebody's telling the truth or telling a lie. That's my problem with it.
3: So you're saying that we need to keep a rule that you should always tell the truth, otherwise it's a slippery slope into chaos.
4: Yeah.
0: (laughs) After what Ashley said, the children reconsidered their opinion and they were asked why they changed their mind.
8: If you, if you like, tell the, the truth to people, then you'll become an honest person. And if you don't always tell the truth, people like, say, say uh, I lie to my friend every time. Then if you keep on doing that, next time you ask, he asks him something, and then you say, you say something you know, is tr- true, but then he doesn't believe you because you keep on lying to him. It's only okay if it's like super, like super, like, important not to tell someone like a secret. Then, and someone asks you, please don't tell. Then it's okay not to tell.
3: Okay, so there are certain circumstances where it's okay to not tell the truth. Yeah. yeah?
1: Only certain kinds of secrets or should you keep and other kinds you need to tell somebody else so there was something about making judgments that seemed to keep coming up that it depended on the context
3: and I I think you know one of the common things when you do philosophy like this and you do it really well like we just did it like there were some really good reasons is you start to see that a lot of these kind of big questions in life are about using judgement and weighing things up and seeing well in this situation maybe I do this and in this situation maybe I do that So a a common thing in philosophy is this use of
6: judgment.
1: But I think what I was really taken to was I really thought about, well, what would it mean to feel that I was no longer an honest person and a person that could be trusted? And that was something that you made me think about. It wasn't just about making a decision. It was what kind of person am I becoming if I tell lies? Did you want to say something else before we finish? They know that we're really interested in their voices, that, for instance, if we're talking about philosophy, that people have been debating these questions for thousands of years and they haven't got the answer. So we're not going to get the answer today, but we might get some better or worse answers. And it'll be better if we can think together around this so that thinking together makes for better thinking as a general rule. That's the community of inquiry. And part of it is 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 just communicating that interest that when we disagree with each other, it's not personal. And that sometimes it's really helpful to disagree with somebody else to 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 support them in thinking better about a question. But we're always going to ask you to give reasons you've got to listen to what everybody else has to say and you might think that was a yeah i actually i want to change my mind i'm going to go over here and you might move over and say i'm going to agree with whatever the statement is but the important thing is just to what we're trying to do is think together and build ideas together
3: but the idea as ashton said is to be really open-minded about it to really listen to other people's reasons And if you hear a good reason, you can change your mind. You don't have to prove that your first answer is right. It's rather just about keeping an open mind, listening to reasons and playing around with the concepts and reasons. So another big part of being a facilitator or a guide in these things is letting people know that it's okay to be uncertain. And in fact, it's to be welcomed. And it's quite liberating to be uncertain about those things. But... I think the key is to be uncertain about it while still trying to explore it and move forward in it, but accepting this kind of these contradictions that we live in.
1: Good. Okay, let's do some philosophy. Happiness is more important than freedom. So be happy than be free. So if you agree over here, if you disagree over
2: there. So you
1: you really agree? Yeah? You really agree? Okay.
4: So you're right on
1: the edge. Cool. You are sort of agreeing and you're in the
4: middle.
1: Yeah, totally. Okay. Should we see why people are standing where they're standing then? Okay. Tell us why you agree with that statement. Happiness is more important than freedom. Go
8: on. If you're like in a cage or something, but you're still happy there, you don't really want to change it. You don't have to.
7: It's just that people—they can still be in prison, or they can be like uh, trapped, or they can like say trapped in a house and they can't get out, and they can still be like. Um, like maybe dancing, they can still be like they can still be living a happy life, even though they're trapped in this house and don't know how
1: to get out. So, what is it that happiness is then for you? What do you think it is?
7: Happiness is a part of living life.
1: It's a part of living life.
7: Even if you have freedom, like if there's nobody with you, uh, freedom means nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I chose happiness.
8: Right. You sad if you're all alone and you have no friends to talk
1: to. Okay. So, so you're connecting freedom with being alone. That if you, if you don't have freedom, you'll be alone. You'll be cut off from your friends.
8: I think happiness is more than freedom. Because freedom is like... If there's freedom and, like... If you want it to become something... And then, like, you don't have the freedom to do it... or And then you're not happy... I'd rather think that happiness is better than freedom.
1: Okay, so at least happiness, at least you can sort of rely on it in some way, whereas you may be free, theoretically, to do something, but you may not be able to do it. So happiness is a better place to be in than freedom and failing to be whatever it is you want to be. Wow. Um, I think it'd be better to be freedom than you
5: could get happiness, because it's like freedom to like, be with who you really want to be with. Mm-hmm. Say if you are a female mm-hmm. and you like being with females, it'd be better to be free and then you could be happier because you're with the person that you want to be with. Yeah, yeah. And, like, if you're le- like, allowed to do some things, like you're allowed to, like, go to the park mm. and you're allowed to be with who, pe- like, you want to be with. Kind of, like... Yeah.
1: I mean, I think one of the things that that's that's been really important and maybe uh, differentiates this particular kind of approach from um, the more traditional communities of philosophical inquiry and you know focus and argumentation and reasoning and so on is is finding different ways into these big ideas. So thinking about choreography, thinking about like what it is to draw, whether it's freedom or. Um, control or happiness? Like, how would you create a symbol or an image of it? So, we've done a lot of talking. Are you on for doing a little bit of drawing? Yeah. Okay. It's a bit of a difficult drawing task. Um, But the great thing about it is um, there are going to be absolutely no perfect drawings around this one. It's really about what you think and what you feel. So the task is... um, draw freedom and draw its opposite. And I can tell you that I have no idea what freedom looks like, and I have no idea what its opposite looks like, but you wanna have a go? Will you have a go? Yeah? Okay, let's see what
0: happens. The class went into small groups and were given Sharpie pens and index cards to draw their images.
8: So you want to have an image of freedom is everything? But then, can I ask you, how would you make a choice
1: if you had everything?
8: Ooh, that's like, a hard question. Um, freedom is like money because like you can just do with everything. Like you just need money. Like you just need to buy something, get it, and then you get freedom. But that wouldn't be a life. Why not? Because like money is not life. Like happiness is life.
0: One of the children drew a picture of a house.
8: Yeah, I like it. Home. Yeah.
1: So there's something about home that's related to freedom. Yeah. Why is that?
7: Because like, like when you get home, it's always like you feel safe and uh, everything else, like you feel.
1: Yeah, so freedom is in some way related to that sense of feeling safe. Yeah, Um, place of love, Mm -hmm. all of those things connected with freedom. Oh, freedom of choice here. We've got a couple of freedom of choice pictures. Interestingly enough, with the freedom pictures, there's lots of sky and sun and stars and moon. We've got this this image of being outside, hands raised up, looking at the sea, looking at the sky. I love that because that is when I feel free. But we also try to give other spaces as well so that it's not just about dialogue and discourse all the time. I think that's really vital. But to, to have other forms of making, of contemplative moments, of silence, of solitude, of sensory experience, of different sensation exercises, and that they can see that thinking and ideas are made manifest in multiple different ways and not only through the spoken word or the written word. Um, so this next this next one is to think about well if you were going to make a movement or a gesture of, that would express freedom for you and it's opposite what would it look like
5: so this is freedom
1: so it's a um, skipping jumping movement ok yeah, and then this is not freedom and when you can do kind of Oh, like kind of
5: trip
1: and fall. so you think freedom is something that you can do very Maybe. easily, and then not freedom is when you can't do something, and it's difficult. Oh, interesting, getting stuck. That's one I haven't seen before. Thank you. Who's next? Yeah, one of the groups. Go on, you two. Get your cushion. I think you need two cushions.
0: Two of the girls took their cushions and lay down together on the floor,
1: lying in a cushion, totally relaxed. And we talked about it could be a beach, it could be grass, wherever, but it's comfortable. And the key thing is you're doing nothing.
7: Doing for
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to say something about why you chose those images? And somebody over here recognized the image of freedom immediately as well, so you might say something about that too.
7: I chose this because I was like, um, tired and uh, I think this, this, my mind just told me this would
8: work. We chose this because like freedom is where you can do anything and relax and this is us relaxing.
1: It's about relaxation and you were saying children have extremely busy lives these days and you're always doing a million things and one of the nice things is to be able to relax. Now who said over here, you immediately said that's freedom.
5: Um, I think when they did it it was kind of like they relaxing after like a long day. Kind of because like I agree with Julia when she said the kids have a lot of stuff to do because they, they always want to get different stuff done.
1: And we had that kind of the beginnings, the sort of embryonic beginnings of a community of philosophical inquiry there where we're asking them to give examples, to give reasons, to change their minds, to build in each other's ideas and so on. And then there was the shift to the kind of choreography piece, which was to to make a gesture or a movement that in some way expressed the concept of freedom for them. And for them, they lay down with their heads on the cushions. him. So the idea of freedom for a child is just not being busy all the time, being able to stop. I thought it was really interesting, a really contemplative image of freedom.
0: On the final day of art and philosophy in the classroom, the children went back to look at the ideas that emerged from Rona McRae's exhibition.
1: Hi everyone. Hi. You ready to do some philosophy? Yeah, we'll have a go, will we? Okay, um, but can you remember any of the kind of big ideas that struck you when you were looking at Ronan's exhibition? let well, I have a look at my notes? You had a lot of emotions, fear, anger, hatred, happiness, the past, curiosity, the art of life, the unknown, change. These are all from what you wrote down. So what we're going to do is maybe maybe do a little bit of work together and in little groups, maybe in pairs, and try and come up with some other big ideas, or try and remember some from yesterday.
5: Okay. So talking about yesterday. Talk about
8: yesterday. Um, so yesterday we went. We went to the Temple Bar Gallery, which was very fun. <laughs> yeah. We had I um, don't agree oh, and yeah, agree. Oh, we
5: agree and don't agree.
8: We had and freedom, freedom. And, and happiness.
5: Yeah. I um, thought
8: freedom was fair. Yeah. yeah, because, like, the, the freedom to, like, water like water. people
5: that you want to like and everything,
8: I kind of like that. Because, like, we, there's got to be somebody to uh, be happy. Because if you're, like, always happy, because, like, you never know if you're happy, you can fake a smile just pretending that you're happy, but when you have freedom, you can have a lot of emotions that you have, and you can explore new places. And it's fun. Yeah. Also.
1: Okay.
8: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Cal- me through them. Calming, freedom, happiness, see, old buildings. I would love to know why all of
1: those are together.
8: Because they're all good things. And then this next lot? Pain, death, suffering, and self-defense.
1: Oh, tell me about that kind of cluster.
8: Well, pain can bring us to death, and
1: suffering. Do you think you could know happiness with ever
8: having had any suffering or pain?
1: You think you could? No. Why not?
8: Because without pain, you wouldn't realise the good things, and then you wouldn't be happy.
1: So for you, you have to have something to compare it with yeah. in order to know that you're happy. But for you, you're saying that you think you could. You could have happiness yeah. without pain. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. We can have a think about it. Because philosophers argue about this all the time. Some say you do need to have a, to be able to experience a difference to know it, and some say you don't. So, I don't know if you've noticed, but philosophers ask a lot of questions. Did you spot that? Yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought you might have noticed. Okay, so um, what we would like you to do is ask some philosophy questions, but we're really interested in hearing your ideas for questions that you think that you as a class might like to discuss, that's interesting for you, or maybe it'd be interesting for other 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. Um, some, so some, some examples that I have ready-made. So remember we were looking at happiness and freedom yesterday? Some philosophy questions I was thinking about is, what is happiness? Is happiness a universal right? Does everyone have the right to be happy? Like, that we could discuss. Can people be happy all the time? Now, that came up in our discussion down here. What do you think? Um, If everyone in a society is happy, but only because one person is suffering, is that acceptable? So imagine everybody in Ireland is happy except for one person who's suffering. And we need that one person to suffer for everyone else to be happy. Is that right? Is it acceptable? Do you need to have been sad to be happy? Okay, those are just happiness questions. You've got about, I don't know, 300 different concepts on the floor in front of you. So will we try and get together, maybe in groups of five or six, and try and come up with some philosophy questions? You on for that? And we might give you a hand with it. And, you know, this is just practice, to be honest with you. You'll learn how to do this. We find it hard still, actually, to come up with philosophy questions. So, you may well be a lot better than us at this. Wow. Wow. wow, big, deep questions. Why do we Why do we live? So what is life? Um, what about what is a good life?
7: Like, bad life. Why we don't have
8: wings?
3: What?
1: Wow. Why do we have
5: toenails? Why yeah, do we that we might not be a philosophical name. question.
7: You, Why is balls uh, invented? Oh I'm telling you, it's class no problem coming up Why with Why are scary questions. games invented?
1: Like okay, so what we're going to do now is I just want you to tell me your questions. First question.
7: Um, Why are we born if we have to die? Why are we
1: born if we have to die? Okay. Should we trust anyone? Should we trust anyone? So we're back to our truth and lies. Um, Okay, next group. Is God
0: God real? Is God... After this final session... Real? I met with with the class teacher, Miss Gerard. My business is... Now, I'm a mummy of a seven-year-old. So, Ashton asked me, she says, are you surprised... And part of me wasn't, because I've heard my own child say stuff that has blown me away. But when I listen and I hear, like, some of those questions downstairs, really did take my breath away. Like, they, they've only just started. Like, like, does it still take you by surprise when you hear it? their little minds that we kind of dismiss a bit as just children? They are drawn to those big questions, you know, the, the ones that aren't so easy to answer because children are so curious and I think they really appreciate being given the time you know for their ideas to be listened to and valued and you know they i think they really felt that over the few days that we were doing this project so they were much more willing to to come forward and i saw many children who wouldn't even speak out much in class speaking and putting forward their ideas and that was great because they felt it was a safe environment and they felt they were being listened to you know and that, that their opinion counted they don't get a lot of time as you said to just relax and just be and just think and talk about you know whatever they're interested in and have someone listen to them.
4: I think being able to ask these questions and collectively inquire and discover each other's opinions and learn from each other you know to have that space to be able to have those kinds of conversations in a kind of safe way. I think for children to have those range of experiences with different artists or our practices with Different gallery spaces, with going into an artist's studio, which we did in this instance. Working, you know, in different different rhythms and through different methodologies. I think for children, it's really important. So I think part of it is is
1: creating that kind of space and taking them seriously. I think um, being interested in them, taking seriously their perspectives, and not just seeing it as cute. They really have something to offer us in terms of um, showing us the singularity of who they are, the ways that they see the world, what they've witnessed, what they've experienced, the wisdom that comes from that. So I think we can underestimate um, children and they know when they're being condescended to. They know when they're being moralised to. They know when there's a hidden agenda in your back pocket that you're trying to get them to have the right answer. So I think creating that kind of space of openness um, where we take them seriously, but we also ask them to be responsible for their speech and um, to take care of one another within the environment that we're in, that you know we might be wrong around some of these things, but we'll give it a go. And um, so allowing that space for chance and for getting it wrong.
0: And why does it matter so much
3: now to do this? I think for a lot of reasons. One obvious reason is that I think from my own experience in education, I found it very frustrating to not have your voice heard at all, basically, in school and just to be told stuff to memorise. So in the kind of short-term, immediate view of what education is in Ireland, I think it's sorely needed because... The way the education system is at the moment, people have to relearn how to think once they leave school. They have to relearn how to question things.
2: You can, you can engage them in really beautiful things. Early childhood education is quite a powerful and incredible thing almost everywhere I've been. But clearly what Irish students are being told by the time they hit 13 to 14 is none of that matters anymore. What matters is this test. And we can tell you that we like key skills and all these other things. But if what counts when you leave second-level education is that test score, then that's all that matters. That's all that does matter. Uh, It's not what should matter, but clearly it is all that matters. And they know that. And why would they they respond differently? Why would they do anything else when an entire system is built around a test like that?
3: More broadly, socially and culturally, I mean, I think politically it's really important that we have people who are capable of questioning institutions and basic beliefs of societies. We've seen so many times how powerful institutions have shaped an ideology of a society and people have accepted it unquestioningly and ended up suffering because of it. Um, So I think treating education as a place to encourage people To be able to question ideas is so important in that sense. And then there's like the, you know, internet, technology, media world. You know, there was an idea that the internet would liberate us with all this information and we'd have this kind of democratic decision-making process. And it's turned out not to be the case. What we can do is teach kids, again, to question the stuff they receive and to learn how to triangulate their ideas and their concepts and their beliefs, and also to not necessarily make up their mind about stuff. You know, it's that living in uncertainty again. It's the, the ability to take in information from these sources and digest it and understand it and relate it to other things without having to reduce it into some simple identity claim or something. So there's like multiple layers of reasons why it's a really important thing. And it seems to me just even from people I talked to about it that there's quite a a lot of hunger for that Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of people talk about since the collapse of the church in Ireland that we don't have a public space if it ever was is another question but we don't have a public space to come around and talk about values beliefs ethics morals and even then on the other side of philosophy the more scientific questions of space and time and the universe and causality so like taking that tradition of public discourse and embedding it in how we teach people how to think and not just about social and political issues, but about, again, philosophical issues uh, is a really good thing to do. Yeah, but
0: not just about framing arguments
3: either. Yeah. Figuring out what to care about is a big part of doing philosophy. Realising that these things are choices, you know? What kind of society do we want to have? rather than just responding reacting but actually having a conversation about well you know how much do we actually care about equality versus freedom versus security or whatever you know, those conversations don't happen you know it's always just reaction 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 so again philosophical inquiry philosophical sensibility would i think generate some of those conversations
1: and give ourselves the space and time to think rather than to always delve straight away into action and activism and so on. So a lot of it's just stopping and thinking, which is probably one of the most radical things we can do in contemporary life.
0: Inquiring Minds is a curious broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. Produced and narrated by Patricia Baker. Edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Contact Studio.